Hi, my name is James Andrella, and you are listening to the Back to Human podcast. On today's episode, I have the honor of welcoming back returning guest for the third time now, Steve Lane. Steve is a creator of the Peak Human Solution, which is a transformative holistic online coaching program. He's also the host of a great podcast called Radical Health Radio, and most recently the host of his second baby boy, Indy, which he just welcomed into this world with his wife, Nicole, just last week. They did so in a radical way. They elected to have a free birth, which we will be discussing today. Without further ado, Steve, welcome back to the show, brother, and congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, mate. And you must be a glutton for punishment for having me back on three times. So uh, yeah, let's see if third time's a charm, as they say. I know, mate. Can't get enough. <laughs> You're a brave man. All stupid. I'm not sure which one. Yeah. Maybe a little bit of both. <laughs> I think they both fit together. But yeah, man. Could you go into what exactly is a free birth for someone that's never heard of this before? Yeah, absolutely, man. I think we should also frame the context of the free birth being the actual birth process, which is where you bring your new little being actually into living earth, if you will. But what precedes that also is a big part that often comes as a package deal with free birthing. Not always, but commonly is to choose a free pregnancy too, or more commonly what's called a wild pregnancy. And what that means is you have the free birth and the wild pregnancy, which essentially said is birth and pregnancy that is unfettered by any outside sources, even midwives, even doulas, even nurses, doctors, all of it, that you choose completely to surrender into the massive trust experiment of your biology. Speaking on behalf of my wife here, of course, I did not give birth to my child. You know, it's 2023. I guess we got to get that out there these days. Mm. But this was very conscious uh, collaborative conversations we've been having over the whole course of this, you know, that extends back 10, 11, 12 months when we decided to have our second child to, again, trust that her body knows exactly what to do. And that's built on the back of some initial birth trauma with the first birth that we had, which I'm sure we can get into, which was more of the, not a fully standard normal birth because we didn't do um, certain things and we were planning for a home birth, but we were not planning for a free birth. And some of those interventions I think led to, unfortunately, Nicole having a C-section. And that was in hindsight, something that we're both kind of grateful for because it taught us exactly what we did not want for this one. And a lot of that was not just the birth itself and how we wanted that ceremony to go peacefully at home in the safety of just a very few selected close loved ones, but also the pregnancy itself from the moment of conception through the moment of delivery. There was no visit to anyone or anywhere. There was no suggestions. There was a lot of learning on Nicole's part. There was a big community that she was a part of. There was a lot of mindset work and a lot of spiritual work to get in a place of trust and surrender to have that experience. But it's completely wild and free. It's kind of mimicking birth and pregnancy the way that it would have been for a long, long time before we medicalized it in the last uh, couple hundred years or so. And in particular, you know, the very over-medicalized versions of birth and pregnancy that we see today, which is just full of tests, blood tests, vaccinations, doctors, opinions. And it's quite hard, especially for new parents to navigate that because unfortunately, birth and pregnancy, something that can be so beautiful and natural and innate has been turned into something that is shrouded by fear 
and gaslighting a lot of the time and a I know better than you kind of philosophy from doctors and nurses on down, which is unfortunate because I think a lot of people feel that. It's certainly what we felt through our first pregnancy as well. Yeah, this one was wild. This one was free and it was completely unmessed with. The only people that had any say in what was happening here was Nicole and I. And that's very empowering, scary to some, but really, really empowering. And it turned out really beautifully. And I think that many, many births, if not the overwhelming majority of births, could be exactly that if people were to choose to do so. Because bodies remember, you know, and this is the intelligent design of nature. It's not an accident. It's the fact that people could birth like this, women could birth like this forever, that we're even able to have this chat. If we needed surgeons and scalpels and emergency C-sections and all of these things that we now celebrate that have apparently enhanced birth, then we wouldn't even be here because that's like half a percent of our entire evolutionary outline. And you can look at trends in terms of the more money we seem to spend and the more interventions we seem to add into the mix here, the worse our outcomes get. So I'd just kind of let that hang in the air there that whilst people are very scared of something like this, stepping away from the medical system, it's not exactly like stepping into the medical system is leading to desirable, healthy outcomes for mamas or babies either. It seems like you definitely need to step into faith here. And it's just a massive leap of faith when it comes to having something like a free birth, especially with what I know of Nicole's previous C-section in the past. And it's so funny that you text me which I'm very grateful for. Thank you for letting me in on all this stuff. How I believe you mentioned where there was a midwife and a doula there, but they only came in when it was time to push. Yeah. I had a guest on previously, Wapio, which she is a midwife as well. And she mentions that there's plenty of pregnancies where she didn't even go into the room at all. She just sang on the porch. I wasn't sure if you actually listened to this, but then I saw the video that you posted and she mentioned how the father's supposed to catch the baby, mm. you were the flute and everything. I was, man, you pretty much lived out the entire episode. Yeah. Right. You had no testing, no interventions at all. Based on the podcast that I did with Wapio as well, it seems like all of these tests are kind of just to instill doubt in the woman. Mm. And I love that you posted up the video of the process and I probably should have been interviewing Nicole on this one because she's the one that went through, but I don't know if she's the shy type or not. This is a possibility. Going back to Nicole's first birth, would you mind touching on what exactly the intervention was that led her to have a C-section? Yeah, of course. I think it was numerous things. And I think that Since Jai is almost four years old now, there's also framing in the context that in four years of personal self-development, a lot can change. And we are not the same people as we were when Nicole was pregnant with Jai, our firstborn, than we were with this one. And that means that one of Nicole's battles, and she'll be completely fine with me saying this, is always a little bit of this scarcity mindset, a little bit of anxiety that's very ingrained in in a lot of her familial history. And that can lead to susceptibility, to fear-based narratives, to acquisition of your needs and your personal truth, to white lab coats or doctors or nurses, this kind of um, superiority complex that is inbuilt in our culture that they are the experts, so you must listen to them. Because whilst we were very intentional with the way we wanted to bring Jai into the earth and and have a home birth, and we had a, a midwife and such, it was some of those issues that were even baked into the cake of having the kind of midwife that we had. So a distinction here is 
that was a certified midwife. To be a certified midwife means that you are playing by certified rules. If you are playing by certified rules, there are certain things that they are not comfortable with you doing, and they will then push you to transition at a certain time to the hospital. If things go over a certain um, date, then they will push you to the hospital to induce. They will even do things that like okay in this alternative birthing space, but are still interventions like membrane sweeps, et cetera. So we had a certified midwife. And in hindsight, a lot of that was the reason that we ended up going getting a scan because we were late, right? Nicole went 42 and two. And the midwife then is in, that's kind of her end age, a certified midwife. They have to encourage you to seek another opinion. So then you go and get this scan and this scan is just for peace of mind to make sure everything's okay. Now, rewind our mind back all the way to the beginning of Jai's birth. And Nicole got one scan very early on, as they do. And one of the things she said to me immediately after we wrap is, I'm not doing that again because it didn't feel right and the baby did not like it. And knowing what I now know about medical surveillance technologies, these um, you know ultrasounds, which are you know high power EMF frequencies, which whether you like to admit this or not, are damaging um, to developing cells, to brain and heart tissue and lung tissue, and potentially even DNA and stem cells, especially with highly replicating tissues. You've even got the most scientific materialist types acknowledging this now. You've even got people like Andrew Huberman who's saying, hey, you know what? It's probably a good idea not to have your phone near your testes all day because there's a high rate of turnover in those cells and they're particularly susceptible to damage from EMF radiation. So what do you think would happen if you then stick something up a woman and put it you know, a centimeter or so away from the baby and basically blast it with radiation so you can then have a picture that tells you the gender or now, you know, you get down this, oh, we're going to have these wonderful 4D pictures that we can post in our fridge so we can have our gender reveal, et cetera. Like you got to do what you want to do as parents, but you also have to acknowledge that that is not completely safe and effective. Safe from the sense is there's documented harms. There's a bunch of studies that came from China that have been buried in this kind of world, and you can get them if you're willing to look deep enough. But effective in the sense as well that they can give a lot of false positives. There are numerous studies of those things turning up things that end up being not the truth when the baby is delivered, like false diagnoses that all they do is plant the seed of doubt and then make the whole pregnancy for the mother a stressful one. Now you've got evolutionary psychologists like Dr. Sapolsky starting to come out with evidence that the third, as early as the third trimester in pregnancy, you are having epigenetic changes at the cellular level due to the stress load of the mom, the amount of cortisol, the diet, all of those things factor in. So this whole overarching blanket of fear that is so common for most mother's pregnancies are leading these children to be born into a world where they will be more predisposed to things like anxiety, to things like depression and bipolar disorder. And epigenetic changes kind of bet passed on through the line. We we know this now. It's not it's not a controversial thing to say that the epigenetic changes of the parent can be passed on to the child at a level for predisposing them to mental health as well as things like diseases like cancer and heart disease because we've known that for quite a while we've always had this genetics is a really big part of the stuff but this mental health piece is is important too so coming to the end of that first pregnancy we went for the scan and scans are designed to essentially i mean when you're looking like that you're kind of looking for problems and you'll find them if you go looking for them and that problem that we found was that they said Jai was particularly small, that he was measuring about five weeks behind where he technically should have been at that stage, and that they were having a hard time picking up any amniotic fluid on the scan. 
And then that is kind of scary because you're like, okay, well, what's going on here? So then the, the midwife says, I think we should go and see this certain doctor, Wayne Hospital. So we go and this doctor is an older man and just firstly is not very, his demeanor, not very kind at all, kind of comes in and touches Nicole's belly a few times, asks a couple of questions and then very bluntly is like, oh yeah, this baby's got to come out. It's not getting any healthier at this point. Your placenta is probably dried up. You've got no amniotic fluid. I think we should like induce immediately. And immediately then you're kind of in shock and, and you can see the chances of your natural birth disappearing out the window because once a synthetic induction phase has begun in pregnancy, the chances of you ending up with a C-section, they, they go through the absolute roof. And this is kind of the part in the story that, that hurts Nicole and I a little bit because again, four years ago, not knowing some of the things that we know now, we didn't really fight for our own truth. We didn't really stand up in the face of that. It's not my decision ever to tell Nicole what to do with her pregnancy and her body. But I wish that I'd have just really like kind of grabbed her by the shoulders and said, hey, do we need to think about this first before we just like run over here and get hooked up to these machines? And she wishes she'd have had some healthy pushback there because truth be told, in hindsight, we both believe that what then resulted in a C-section was medically unnecessary and the babies come when they are ready to come. And the fact that Jai was small was because he wasn't ready to come yet. And you see in this free birth society that Nicole's a part of, which is an amazing resource for women too, check out free birth society. You'll see women go to 45, 47, 50 weeks before they give birth. But in the medical complex, that is not okay because they just have made up their mind that anything after you know, 40, 42 weeks is where all these risks go through the roof. So we get in the room, they hook her up to the machines. Now your animal body is in a very strange position because it's fluorescent lights. You're trying to reconcile in your mind that, oh shit, this isn't going like I envisioned. So you're stressed out and they hook you up to these IVs. And then that first hit of synthetic oxytocin that they call Pitocin goes into the system and it causes a completely unnatural, very strong contraction because it's not a natural contraction. Contractions, as I just witnessed, when they're allowed to unfold naturally, slowly start to ramp up and they are driven by the body. They are not driven by the person. They are not driven by the mind. The push is not driven by the mind. The body starts to do it on its own. It's up to you to get out of the way. Mm -hmm. So when you synthetically induce this, you create something completely unnatural. And then the baby's heart rate decelerated quite a bit, which caused an awful lot of panic. You know, in that moment, they were like, oh, baby really didn't like that. You know, they start telling Nicole, flip over, get on your knees. There's somebody in there with gloves and fingers inside you. Like, are we going to, you know, is this an emergency? It's panic stations all over. There's flashing lights going on. There's get the nurse, get the doctor. And it all just accelerates from there. It goes from zero to 100 really, really quickly. Then the baby's heart rate comes up. So there's a moment of peace. But the, then the doctors come in and say, hey, look, you know, if the heart rate decelerated that much on one contraction, it doesn't look good for labor, which can be long, you know, and you can have a lot of contractions. And that was pretty much the nail in the coffin at this point. You're basically made to think that if you choose to go through labor naturally, you are going to harm your baby or potentially you know, kill your baby. That's essentially the seed of doubt that is planted in that moment. So you're basically told that the safest and best thing you could do right now doesn't need to be an emergency C-section, but it does need to be a C-section and we'll get you prepped and we'll head on into the OR here in an hour or so. And that was that, man, you know, then the epidural and all of the stuff and the procedure. And I was with Nicole every step of the way. And, and there was just like a lot of silence as we both mourned it. You know, we were mourning the loss of Nicole's birth as we were simultaneously excited that Jai was coming, but it was a moment that was completely robbed of all of its joy. 
when Jai came out and we heard those first screams and we got to hold him, of course we were overjoyed and it was beautiful, but the whole moment leading to it was somber and sad and really weird, just very unnatural. And it left its mark. For me, less so because my body didn't experience that trauma. My hormones weren't so out of whack from not having the natural skin to skin contact and the natural birth canal stuff going on. But I was wounded more so through Nicole and for Nicole because I saw how bad it hurt her. And it's a beautiful thing to have a newborn in, in your arms looking at you. And he was completely healthy, by the way. There was absolutely nothing wrong with this child. He was just small. Like I said, he hadn't finished baking. This was like taking a, a loaf out of the oven 30 minutes before it was supposed to go off. It hadn't risen yet. Mm-hmm. I think a couple more weeks, that's a six and a half, seven pound baby, perfectly healthy. Nicole asked the nurse who did the C-section about the amniotic fluid. And she was like, oh, no, you were good. You know, you were good, honey. There was no problems there. The placenta wasn't calcified or dried up or anything. Again, in hindsight, lots of information that make you go, hmm, if we'd have just not done that, we probably could have had a natural birth there too. So lots of learning and lots of gratitude. When we come full circle on it and we're far enough away removed for it now, there's actually a lot of gratitude for that because Nicole was able to really then get stronger in herself. To go from that level of fear and anxiety and having that experience to deciding not only are we going to get pregnant again and go back into this, but we are going to lovingly stick two middle fingers up at the entire system and completely surrender to this trust experiment in our relationship, in our bodies, in God, in nature's intelligence and do this thing. It was one of the most powerful things I've ever bird witness to, to see the arc of transformation and then to have it be complete the way that it was. And one of the crazy stories about this delivery at home was Nicole passed a massive clot after the baby, like a clot the size of a dinner plate. And when we had our birth keepers afterwards that were doing the aftercare, she basically said, I've never seen a clot that big. And Nicole was fine. There was no excessive bleeding or anything. But Nicole said, because they're like walking between worlds when they gave birth, they've kind of like, you know, there's some old beliefs that the soul kind of leaves the body, goes to the stars, grabs the baby, comes back with it. It's very ceremonial. Like it's very mysterious. And Nicole said when she passed that clot, that was passing the physical trauma of Jai's birth. It was the trap stuff that came with that. And in that moment, she released that too. And the ceremony was closed. That ceremony that had been open for four years almost was done. And then it comes in with this new life, this new being. And just just powerful, man. Just incredibly, incredibly powerful and mysterious and awe-inspiring and humbling and all the feels. So you got a little bit of closure there? A lot. Yeah, a lot. Just to not only be like, yes, you know, we did it. You know, we got that one back. But the physical scar of the reminder of having a C-section on Nicole's belly, just this four inch little thing, you'd have to look really hard to even see it. it pales in comparison to the psychological, emotional scars that you carry with you, because there's always a part of you that feels like you failed. That's what you feel like. And it's not that. When we look back, you can reconcile. Like, we did the best with the tools that we had at that time. There was nothing we could have done different to change that experience. It had to go that way, right? And that's because it did. But there's still this open loop forever of like, what if we were a little bit more educated? What if we were a little bit stronger? What if we stood up for our freedom a little bit more? And to basically understand the whole full picture circle of that now, it makes a whole lot more sense that that had to be that way to give us this. And look, Jai is a very happy, very calm, very amazing boy. And now he's got another brother that was brought into the world very, very differently. And they're both healthy and they're both happy. And I always say, you know, when it comes to childbirth, 
healthy kids are really all that matters at the end of the day. Like anything after a healthy kid, however they're delivered, is bonus. We're all on bonus at that point. But what a healthier alternative, in my opinion, to bring a child into the world with no strangers, no rubber gloves, no fluorescent lights, no scalpels, no immediately, like just doing the weird shit that they do, like immediately cutting the cord, immediately like cleaning the baby. Like what's this fascination with cleaning up a baby because it's got vernix on it and blood? Like we left that stuff on Jai for a couple of days afterwards because it all helps build a microbiome in the skin and the health and just so many different little things that are unnecessary in the medical setting that you do not need to even endure at the home setting because it's peaceful and it's surrounded by a completely different energy. And I think that it's not a crazy idea to say that that is a probably healthier way to bring a child into the earth, not only for baby, but also for mama too. So there's lots to it. And again, main thing is healthy babies. I'm never, ever going to pretend to sit here and say, this is how people should have birth. I think that's a ridiculous statement. I think people should do exactly what they're comfortable with, but I do think there is an alternative path to how birth can be. And I think this is the more beautiful birth that our hearts know is possible. I think this is the more beautiful kind of pregnancy that is a woman's birthright if she is willing to claim it. And the reason why I really want to have these type of discussions is because people may not even know that this is a possibility. How exactly. can you possibly go down a different route if you don't even know it's there? It's just been kind of closed off and gated for whatever reason. It doesn't say no trespassing, but for whatever no. reason, you, you just don't want to go down that path. You'd rather go down the, the road more traveled. You said a lot that really resonated with me. You mentioned robbed and hurt. Being honest with you, one of the first emotions that came up for me when I saw your video, and I didn't know that this actually resided in myself, was a bit of hurt because I saw you catch the baby and it's not to say that this is a bad thing, but just as you stated before, and I've stated on podcasts with Jade, where we go into how her pregnancy looked like we wanted to have at home birth, but we were transferred to the hospital based on the midwife's decision. Things did not go as planned for her. She kind of got robbed of this whole envisioned birth that she had for herself. And I'm with you where it's like, I was just happy that the baby was born, it was healthy, and it was a bonus that she was able to have him vaginally and unmedicated. So we were able to stand up for ourselves a little bit. But when I did see you catch the baby, there was this hurt in myself because mm. that could have been my experience. And there was also this hurt for Jade. I even understood what she was going through a little bit more too, because it's like, if I'm feeling this type of way, imagine how she's feeling. As yeah. you stated, you have the fluorescent lights. What do they do with the baby? They want to pull him right away. They want to try to clean him. Luckily, we were able to keep the vernix on him, but they want a cord clamp. I had to fight mm -hmm. to try to keep the cord clamp for like three minutes. I was literally negotiating with the OBGYN. All these things are just completely unnecessary. And to me, they're completely unnatural. Yeah. They're completely unneeded. But people honestly just don't know about it. They don't know about their rights. You say robbed, and I believe that's the perfect word for it. We've been robbed of this experience. Women have been robbed of a natural birth because they don't teach this stuff in school. No one educates you. You have to really dig for this type of stuff. And if you try to do so, you're a weirdo. Like, you're a hippie. They're going to go birth the baby in the woods. Okay, let me know how that goes. Like, it's probably going to turn uh, out beautiful. 100%, man. Yeah. So I was actually going to ask, based off what Nicole experienced with 
her cesarean in the past. This was her idea to go through with a natural birth this time. It was completely her idea, man. My whole role in this entire thing was to get out of the way and to not micromanage at all whatsoever and to just 110% stand behind Nicole and trust her intuition and her leadership on this. And I know we talk about energy dynamics a lot and the masculine is the lead in a lot of relationships and creates the safety. My leadership in this sense was I'm out of the way. This is your decision and I am behind you 110% fully. And what my job here is to kind of drop into coach mode and love you and help you with the mindset stuff and help us reframe this and talk through. And when it came to the birth, it was very much like being, you know, a corner man, a cheerleader, an advocate. But I realized very quickly that I also can't bring my stuff to this space. You know, when somebody's choosing that for themselves, you know, this surrender experiment again, if I meet her there and it's like, oh, well, but what if this? And they say, if you've had a, a C-section, you can't have a V back. And well, well, do you think we should just do none, none of that? And you know what's interesting? I didn't have to try hard to do that. I was so completely at peace with her decision that I trusted in her, you know? And again, my leadership here was actually to take a step back and how allow her to lead this because it's hers. Birth is hers. And I see so many men micromanaging their wife's pregnancy. And I don't think I did this in the first one by any means, but I definitely, because I didn't know, like you said, nobody knows any of this stuff. Even the first time where she's like, I want to have a home birth. My, my, I'm like, what the hell is this? Like, what do you mean? We're not, we're not, everybody does it in the hospital. Isn't that super dangerous? So all the stuff was there, but the, the level of micromanaging, I, I see it, see it online everything from excessive testing to micromanaging every bite of food that your wife takes to making them get blood draws to giving them certain supplementations and like co-opting their pregnancy in a way get out of the fucking way man your woman knows she she's known altogether and the truth is she doesn't need you to birth either they've been doing this alone with women kind of alone in the woods forever it's actually when men started to get heavily involved in pregnancy that things started to go a little bit south so there's a lot of women in this free birth society, they choose to give birth kind of alone and similar to what we did, which is hold the birth keepers and hold the, the doulas until it's time to get in and mostly take care of aftercare. Like a lot of women choose to go through this alone as a real rite of passage and a real ceremony. Nicole never wanted to do that. She wanted me there by her side. And one of the friend who's not a certified midwife, none of that stuff is just birth herself. And she's like, could need some help. Little things like having cold rags for the back of the neck and being able to change a song when it's not quite vibing right or the candle goes out and you're like, just little things, like little touches to really treat it intentionally. And that what that's, you know, kind of your role again is to mostly get out of the way. And when you sense that you need to come in with a word of encouragement or a bit of love or some body squeezes or a little massage or whatever it is, like get in there, but trust that she knows what to do. They always have. It's written. It's in the bones. It's in the soul. It, it is theirs to reclaim. And I think to be able to let her just do that and actually was like really empowered when she said like, let's do this and let's just do it completely. Uh, free birth was always the plan, but the wild pregnancy wasn't always the plan. And this is also very interesting too, because we needed to start going down that route again of gaslighting ourselves a little bit and second guessing ourselves a little bit to realize it definitely wasn't what we want. And this actually resulted in us in having a midwife come here who's very highly recommended in this area and having us sit here 
and still feel that even though this woman was an old hat and is definitely a little more well-respected and stuff, there was still this sense of unease with her presence there because she had a lot of good stuff to say that we would align with, but then a lot of stuff that just didn't jive with us too. Oh, Nicole, you've got to start bouncing on the trampoline for 30 minutes a day to tone your cervix and you can't eat pork because it's a dirty meat. And she wanted to push some religious views on us, which is, I don't care what religion you practice, but let us do what we do, you know, that kind of stuff. And it was like, okay, good. We had to test that we didn't want anything like this in terms of help to know that we didn't want it. And as soon as that was done, it was like, that's it. Still didn't have any blood tests or any scans or any of that. But we did sit with one midwife very early on and be like, maybe we should get some help to guide us through this. And it was after that, that was no, fuck this. We can do this. Just you and I, you can do this alone. And I think that's beautiful. And to your point as well, I do think when you said you saw that video and there's these simultaneous emotions, like one is like, oh, that is so powerful. And then there's that pang of like, oh, I feel robbed. I didn't have that. And there's a little bit of guilt and there's a little bit of other stuff that comes with that. I think that this is the delicate space of having these conversations because in recent history in particular, it's become very hard for people to polarize thinking and two conflicting viewpoints in the head at the same time. They seem to buy all viewpoints as a package deal and it messes with nuance. And what I mean by that, I think sometimes people can make the assumption that by us doing this and saying this was beautiful, that it kind of like wounds their ego a little bit because there's an admission of guilt or they're not good enough or they weren't strong enough to do this. So instead of actually just reconciling and say, no, that's just, that's for them. And that's amazing. They kind of feel a need to turn away from it or shun it or attack it even. That's just so reckless. I can't believe you would say that. I can't believe, Steve, in your position as an influencer, you would share that this is dangerous because maybe a part of them feels deep down like, oh, that's what birth could be. And that was taken from me. So instead of just being okay with that, because when we know better, we can do better and we can learn things. It's instead like my ego gets a little bit ruffled and I attack it instead. And I know that as many as there was nice comments on that post and such, um, that there would have been many people that saw that and was like, that's gross. Why are you posting that? I can't believe you'd post your wife in that way. I know there's women that don't breastfeed because they think it's gross. So imagine them seeing a woman on the end of the bed in all of her friggin' glory and guts of like giving birth and screaming and this primal and this divine thing. I know it's very triggering. I know it's hard to see, but I also know that it's beautiful because there's something that if you can stick with that and watch it, and you see that natural full circle moment of mama pushing that baby out with nobody there, no strangers there, and dada catching it, and then coming together as a family, like that's what it's all about, man. You know, that's it right there. I didn't check your comments. I guess there was some jealous or a little bit of hatred, hatred coming out from some people. No, there wasn't. Not in my post, but I anticipate that is is what happens because I've seen it on other posts. Actually, there's a huge account that just had a free home birth called Yoga Girl. She's like a million and a half followers, and she did this in Sweden. It became so much of a cultural topic that it made the national news. And basically, instead of an overwhelming flood of support for what could have been, she was attacked. You know, she was attacked by news anchors for saying a person with this much influence should not be promoting these dangerous, archaic, inane practices. This is going to get babies hurt. This is going to get moms hurt. And then she ended up having to turn comments off on a post because all the trolls were coming out and saying, I can't believe you would do this. Why would you put your baby's life at risk like this? And again, I think that is in the whole polarity of something like this. And you know what is a blessing 
in some ways is we had both experiences. We had the over-medicalized birth that ended in a C-section. And now we had the complete as opposite to that as you can possibly get. And I can tell you firsthand by having both of those experiences, the medical one with the nurses and the doctors and the midwives was so much scarier, so much more unnatural and so much more unhealthy for us than this one without it's just different strokes for different folks, man. But I do think that this topic in particular for women can be really hard to watch because if they are willing to see something like that, they might also be having willing to accept that I didn't really get the birth that maybe I could have or deserve. Maybe you deserve that. Maybe that is your real birthright. And if I was a woman watching that and I didn't know any better and I kind of just been swooped up in the rigmarole of how we do things and nobody questions it, which is most people. And then all of a sudden I had that little moment of like, huh, then I can see that I would be really triggered by that. Like really, really upset by that from a few reasons. Like I didn't get that experience and that's upsetting. So I just think it's a, it's a tricky one because I think there's so much emotion when it comes to childbirth. And that's why I, I wanted to make that disclaimer. Like I'm not saying this is how you should birth because I think healthy babies and you do the best with the tools that you've got. But I do think that this is how you could birth if you want to claim that. And I think that you can claim it. And I think it's fucking beautiful, man. I agree. And I, I just kind of want to clear the air with what I stated, how it was a little bit hurtful when I saw your video. At the same time, there's no hatred, resentment, jealousy, or anything towards you. There's nothing but love. We were talking about this before. And even when we were talking about it through our coaching calls, it makes my heart race. Right? Like right now, my heart is racing because yeah. this is scary. It can be potentially scary, especially yeah. if you're a first-time mother. It's like the information that could be available to you is not because yeah. we don't have the the wise elders as we've mentioned on earlier yeah. podcasts and we also mentioned the rite of passage where men have kind of been stripped of their rite of passage and what's taken its place is college drinking booze going to parties banging women as many as you can get like get as many under your dick as you can yeah. <laughs> then when i had the discussion with wapio it made me realize that birth is a woman's rite of passage Yes. So not only do we have adult boys running around because they have not been initiated into manhood, but in the same token, we almost have adult girls walking around. Yeah. When if you haven't been through this initiation process, if you've been stripped of your rite of passage, how could you possibly give this to your kids now? If you haven't yep. been through it yourself, the cycle is just going to continue over and over and over again. Yes. So pregnancy can be scary. There's a lot of fear wrapped around. There's a lot of unknowns. You mentioned that men were kind of co-opting their women into getting all these tests done for whatever reason. Maybe they feel they're being irresponsible if they do not go through this route. It's just what Probably. they're told. Yeah. And they're trying to just play it safe. They yes. view natural births as this huge risk. Like we need these medical professionals. Overall, in my opinion, I believe that we lean way too much on Western medicine. Western medicine yep. is great when it comes to emergencies, like true emergencies, true life-saving emergencies. Fantastic. Yep. When it comes to anything else, we suck. Yep. Plain and simple. We suck at this. Now that Nicole has had her closure, and I guess this would probably be a better question for her. Do you feel like she's 
gone through her rite of passage and had, how has she come out afterwards? Have you noticed any difference? It's only been a week. Mm. She said that going through that was the most transformative experience of her life. Number one, by far and away, there is nothing that can come close to it. She said something and she actually prefaced this by saying like, this is going to sound really crazy. And I know that, but she said, I now feel like all of my chakras are open and aligned for the first time in my life. She said from the very root to the very tip of my head, there's like a clean flow of energy and information for the first time ever. And to me, that speaks to almost like an energy of maturity, right? Like a real standing in your sacred ground of just like, I'm here, boom, like really rooted in my power. And we talk about this a lot and it's kind of, this is where you put your tinfoil hat on a little bit too, but this is kind of some of the message that naturally emerges when you talk about that women have been robbed of this rite of passage too, which is in a world that's mostly driven by kind of masculine values and the patriarchy that you don't want women realizing their inherent power, that they don't need the medical establishment to birth because then they remember just who the fuck they are. And if they don't do that, they don't birth in hospitals, then you can forget your vaccination programs. You can forget your well checks. You can forget your ENTs. You can forget your antibiotics every couple of months for routine sickness, because this is a different kind of parent. This is a different kind of woman, a very, very different one that just realized in an instant that I don't need you the predominant amount of which is men telling me how I should birth and can birth. And I don't need you, experts, CDC, three-letter agencies, telling me how I should feed my kids or what medicines I should give to them. All of a sudden, that becomes incredibly destructive to the medical industrial complex and the birthing complex in general. So there is an enormous reclamation of power for women to go through this. And whilst Nicole, you know, a week removed from pregnancy, his physical body is still feeling the toll of that. You just pushed a, a baby out of your vagina, which by the way, to bring in another point that you made in terms of the kind of boyish comments that are made around this, I just had this realization the other day, I'd completely forgotten about it. But I remember several older men in my life saying things, oh, you don't want to be present when that happens. You'll never see it the same way again. Oh, the blood, the gore. You'll, it's like throwing a sausage down a hallway. All of these really childish things. And you know what's interesting? I just had the best seat in the house, like inches away from my wife giving birth and seeing that head come out. And it was the most like beautiful thing ever. And I've never been more proud and attracted and connected to my wife than ever before in all of the guts and all of the glory and all of the blood and all of the gross stuff that a child would be, ooh, I don't like it. But a man is like, wow, this is beautiful. So it's just like, not only is it her stepping into her power and coming out the other side, actually as a woman now, really from a girl to a woman in her power, it's a ceremony for everybody involved everybody involved, man, me included, and Jai and her mom that came in shortly after the baby and everybody to just see that firsthand is so powerful. And this definitely gets out there, but it's worth saying at this point, because I think we can underestimate the impact sometimes on a child's nervous system when they are not birthed naturally, is that I wasn't. I was born via C-section to my mom and one of the things that I have relived in psychedelic ceremony is that event. 
that trauma of being separated at the moment of birth and put in a cubicle in a little plexiglass box with strange cold hands and bright lights and not having those moments were literal moments ago. You were connected inside of your mother to the source of all life, fed, warm, everything is taken care of. And then in the blink of an eye, stripped from that into the cold, harsh realities of the world. And that is not something I thought about once for 27 years of my life. And then one night when I was in a a medicine journey, I relived that experience and felt the trauma of that experience. So to now know that, look, I came out the other side, okay. And then I have a great relationship with my mom and all that stuff. I'm not saying this stuff is a death sentence, but I'm saying it leaves its mark. It absolutely does. And now to see that we can have births that are more beautiful and softer and gentler and more connected. And like you said, you don't have to fight every piece of ground for how long they, whether they delay the cord clamping or not. And I got to cut that cord, like I think an hour and a half or two hours after Nicole had had it out. All of that just, it's so much more gentle. It's so much more natural. And I agree with you wholeheartedly that this can sometimes seem like a medicine bashing fest. And it's not that because I agree with you fully that in emergency cases, like true emergency cases of which some are birth emergency cases, albeit a very low percentage, probably single digit percentages, not the 30 to 40% we're approaching these days that ends in C-section. Emergency medicine in the United States is fucking incredible. If I have a hole in my leg or I get in a car crash, I am so grateful for the ambulances, the doctors and the care professionals for things that are life-giving and chronic and centered around birth and health, I'm taking chances of being my own doctor every single time because our systems are not doing well in that sense. And if you want to just look very objectively at the facts of that, look how much money the United States spends on birthing um, procedures, et cetera, and look where the outcomes lie in terms of things like developmental problems, uh, SIDS, which stands for sudden infant death syndrome, look for birth complications to both the mother and the child. And they are pretty much dead last across the board. So they spend the most money, the most interventions and the most fear. And guess what? That doesn't do anything to promote healthy outcomes. And that speaks volumes. So, you know, as much as we can get all crazy and be like, this is just fucking two hippies talking. That's not realistic, blah, blah, blah. I think you're right. I think that that's just fear. And there's a lot of fear. And those men that it's in that protector archetype to want to keep the woman safe. And that's maybe why they micromanage and like push all of these tests and all of these things because they just ultimately want safety. But what if, just what if the safest kind of birth that you can possibly have is the one that you have outside of the medical system? What if that is the safe birth? What if the birth inside the hospital with the tests, with the ultrasounds, with the vaccines they're trying to push, with all of this, what if that's not actually safe at all? And that that is causing more harm than it is good, because I would argue that if you just look at trends, that is exactly what it's doing. It's it's causing more harm than it is good. There is unintended consequences and the road to hell is paved with good intentions. These aren't bad people, but the system's broken and it ain't working. And where we're heading with that is I think 
not a good trajectory. You see just decade on decade, the increase in C-section rates and the decrease in fertility. Like how far into the future do we go where women not only can't get pregnant, but can't give birth naturally anymore because we lost it completely. Like that's a potential possibility within a few generations if we go at the speed we're going, which is just absolutely bonkers because therein is the end of the human race. That's it. Game over. Women can't give birth anymore. They can't conceive. Male testosterone is in the tank. They don't have healthy sperm. Game over, friends. That's it. You and I are done. And that's a potential. Like that's on the table. So it's fucking crazy, man. Like it's crazy to think that way, but it's a reality of of kind of what we're looking down the barrel of if we don't change some stuff. Mm-hmm. It sounds apocalyptic, but that time is like at our doorstep if we don't make some type of pivot, if we don't make some type of change. Yeah. And you mentioned that you weren't born vaginally. I talked to Wapio, the midwife on the podcast. We mentioned that the vagina is a portal. I fully felt that. I feel like I got sucked into something as Jade was delivering Jacks. It's like time, yeah. time did something. I can't fully explain it, but seven hours. I can't even remember how long it took for her labor, but it did not seem like seven hours. It felt like an instant. Yeah, and it seems like makes sense to me that this is the start and the end point, both in one. So you mentioned a portal, your birth vaginally, boom, you're brought into this world. And then immediately, as soon as you come to this world, they want to touch you with, they want to throw you into these lights. They want to vaccinate you with some hepatitis B vaccine and all this stuff, which is like, how is a baby getting something that's sexually transmitted? Why does he need protection against that? But that's beside the point. It's like this, portal has been completely warped yes. and it just keeps continuing on and on and on. It could be some tinfoil hat conspiracy, but it's like, there's something at play here that doesn't want women to know, like you said earlier, who the fuck they are, because if they do everything or a lot anyway, kind of just gets thrown out the window Yep. And I'm going to quote Wapio here again from the previous podcast. She says, the way that we give birth is a mirror of our maturity on this planet. If we understood the magnitude of birth and our potential for transformation through birth, we would organically raise our level of consciousness and all the inappropriate things we do would just disappear. Mm. And as you're speaking, that just resonates even more with me. And I, I truly do believe it. It's confusing to me. Because I do agree that no one in the medical system is trying to do harmful things intentionally. They're there for good. If we were to go into what the medical curriculum is, how it's kind of been bought out by pharma, they're kind of just foot soldiers. It seems like a trap. It's like these well-intentioned people have been sold something that is completely contrary to what they actually signed up for. And then they've accrued all this debt. But they've spent many years of their life pursuing this career. They've got this status. They got this title, this authority to give that up and try to communicate with someone that isn't at that level. This is something that I personally experienced in the medical system where the egos are really inflated. And if we could kind of just be a little bit more human and communicate better, this falls on us too. Uh, maybe stroking their ego a little bit and trying to have their needs met, then I think that something could actually flourish from this. So you mentioned that the previous birth that ended in a cesarean section was with a certified midwife and 
this birth, I believe, was not. Because if I had this correct, the labor was pretty long, no? Yeah, so you're right. There was no midwife. What we had is a couple, well, one predominantly, who we hired to do uh, post-delivery care. And she was not a certified midwife. Um, or she was, maybe she is actually, I don't know, but she was not operating contractually with us in that sense. This was very like, we ain't playing by your rules. Nobody's out here liable to sue you or anything like that. We want you the for the moment of delivery so you can come in and do your magic there. Because as much as women can deliver a baby, once they've got that baby in their arms, there's a lot of other stuff that's going on. So we had a radical birth keeper who was an amazing lady called Summer come in and she had an assistant too. Um, but they were not in the process at all. You know, they were not doing checks. They were not measuring baby's heart rate. They were not checking whether you dilated. They were not doing any of that. So it was purely kind of post-delivery. But yeah, you're right. The labor itself, I mean, technically speaking, Jai was born at midnight on Monday night and Nicole's waters didn't burst in terms of like the huge gush that you see in movies where it looks to pee themselves. But she had um, some leakage starting on Saturday night that progressively just continued and continued and continued. So from Saturday night, so you go 24 hours to Sunday and the contractions are slowly ramping up and getting a little bit more intense. You start Saturday night. I'm, I immediately, because of, you know, your belief, waters burst, it means it's go time. So I immediately, Saturday night, I'm shit, we're going to have a baby tonight. It's so funny that it's almost 48 hours later until we're actually doing the thing. So it can be long. And it's just slowly ramping up. And that's the thing with, again, not rushing the process, because here's another issue. If we had a certified midwife and you told her that the waters had broke and you were having continuous leakage, like Nicole was putting on diapers and stuff, because it was a lot of fluid coming out and that had gone longer than six hours, 12 hours, they're moving you on. You know, they're getting you somewhere because there's this belief that that means it's time to go. And oh, you run the risk of infection. There's all, all of the kinds of stuff that go on there. It's two days of this going on and these contractions slowly ramping up. But on the morning of delivery, you know, we went for a hike. It was like 10 o'clock in the morning. We kind of all get a sense it's Monday now, like by tonight, this is going to happen because they're getting longer and stronger. Nicole's like, I just want to get out of the house and I want to move. It was raining. We went and walked and we hiked. And sometimes she's stopping and like, oh, yeah, that's a pretty good one. And then we come home and she's, you know, we got to get a few things. Go to store. I'll play with Jai. And like by about two o'clock in the afternoon, she texts me and is like, all right, just start making your way home here because it's going to get real in a second. And then by like 5 or 6 p.m., that was when she was kind of out of it in terms of like, right, you've got Jai, you've got the rest of the stuff because like I'm in it. So really from about 6 p.m. was when we would say like the fight started, like the event started. Um, so that was about six hours because from six to just one minute before midnight was when Indy came. Um, so about six hours of intense laboring and increasing contractions and yeah, like even to the point where Nicole delivered and didn't rip or didn't tear vaginally, which is also quite rare. This doesn't happen a lot. But again, it happens overwhelmingly more so when women labor vaginally at home because everything is kind of on time. It's not like forced in the hospital where they tell you you're having failure to progress. So you've got to push, you know, just come on, push. When you're not feeling the need to push, don't push because all you're going to do is swell up the cervix, slow down, and then you're going to exhaust yourself. And now you could be doing this dance for 24 hours. You're completely exhausted. You're tapped out. Then you're susceptible to, hey, you know, you just want a little epidural. You just want a little bit of this, that, and the other. And then, you know, one thing leads to another. Remarkable to see it in that way. And one of the things when she was in the tub, what she said, because I feel like she was surprised again, because I lose concept of time, like how long this has been going on. But she's, I feel like 
it, it's pushing, like it's time to push. And I was like, okay, if you feel that good, then push. She's like, but it's not me. I'm not like getting a signal to push. She's like my body is starting to push. Is it time? And I'm then, then yes, yeah, time. From that moment, she said that it was probably only 20 minutes after that, the indie came. So the body knows again, it's a lot of mostly a lot of getting out of the way and just allowing the time to do it. But yeah, in a classical model, water's breaking on Saturday night and not having a baby until Monday night. Like that's crazy. Everybody thinks that that you wouldn't be allowed to do that, you know? So just another little nod to these various little things that happened along the way, where if we'd have gone down a more traditional certified route, we probably would have ended up at least, I mean, I can't say it would have been a C-section. It could have been vaginal birth. I, had a, I have a feeling if we went certified, we would have ended up in the hospital in some way, shape or form. And as soon as you cross over that threshold, like Jade's a badass for still having a vaginal birth in the hospital. Because as soon as you cross that threshold into the hospital, I feel like your chances of that just, they plummet. Props to her for sticking with it and fighting for fighting for that. Because I know it gets very, very difficult to do that, especially when you've planned a home birth because your whole your whole body is trying to shut down. It doesn't feel safe there. Like animal body wants to go into a corner in a dark place and give birth because it's safe, not under artificial lights with these strangers and stuff. So there's so much, man. There's so much nuance and and it's really crazy. But I, again, the fundamental like takeaway and lesson is your body knows what, what you've got to do is kind of get out of the way and trust. And that's really frigging hard, especially the first time. Yeah, especially the first time because you're just so susceptible. You're often a few years younger. You've got less life experience and it's scary as shit. The second baby, the second pregnancy, the second child, you're kind of like, oh, okay. Like, that's okay. We got this. There's a lot less fear. And I think that fear is is a big part of everything we're talking about today. It's very hard to do this when fear is present. And that thing that you said, that portal that you got sucked into, that experience, that's that's the opposite of fear, right? That's love. That's God. That's whatever the fucking thing is. This like great mystery and dance we're doing. It's that in that moment right there. And that quote you read reminded me of that because if people could experience that, it just cuts through a lot of the other nonsense, right? It does allow people to level up consciousness. It does allow them to fundamentally have initiation experience where everything they thought about the world yesterday no longer applies today. It's a new world, not because anything out there changed, but because fundamentally the way you see it changed by seeing an experience like that. And what's more magical than that? So, yeah, I like that you mentioned the certified midwife, if you had gone that route, then things probably would have ended up in the hospital again, just from our experience and from what we know, since Jade is going into the doulaship and while she was in the hospital, she gave the double middle fingers up then instead of post. But to our knowledge, if the baby was to go over 42 weeks, then they need to go to the hospital. Yeah. And if there was like, like a certain time frame that we were given by our midwife where, okay, if you don't do not give birth in this time after your water breaks, then yeah, you need to go to the hospital. Yeah. So even then that is kind of like rushing the process and it doesn't really put the woman at a state of ease. Not at all, man. I have this window that I need to give birth in. And if I don't guess what we're going to the hospital and that's kind of what was our biggest fear in hindsight, similar to what you were saying, it's like these things needed to happen in order for us to decide in the future what we don't want. So that yeah. way we can kind of just wipe it out. It's unfortunate, but again, it's probably ordained. What I'm curious about is how can we teach the next generation about these things? It's almost like you need the wise elders that are just gaining or gathering the women that are 
capable of giving birth that are entering these years in their life, go understudy or go apprentice with this wise elder, badass birthing woman, birth keeper, yeah. and learn from them. It's like we really need that in our curriculum. I don't know if that would instill the trust that women need back in their yeah. body that I feel has been taken away, not only from women, but from men too, where we give our power away to these white coat authority figures. It's like, you can heal a whole lot of your own shit if you just go within. Yeah. If you stop listening to everything that's outside. You listen to what your body's actually telling you. If you take a pause, you get silent, and you ask yourself, what do I truly need in this moment? But a lot of people... I believe are afraid of doing so because a lot can come up when you actually take a look in that mirror. It sounded like it was a long labor, but it was just the water breaking. And then she was in it for about six, seven hours or so. Yeah. Were there any doubts that came up for you guys within this time? Never once, man. Never once. Not for me. And Nicole made a promise to herself that she would never at any point say, I can't do this. And it's funny that she said it once. And I remember exactly where we were and at what stage we were at. And she was like, (sighs) like, she, you know, you're reaching that point of these are intense, man. It's very hard for two men discussing this to even pontificate on what these contractions must feel like, because we just can't come close. But it, like I said, again, it puts them kind of between worlds. They're not like in the bodies almost. And and then she's like, I can't do this. And I just remember standing there, like over rubbing her back and saying, good. That's what everybody I'm sure says right before the baby comes. And I think it was like two after that, that the baby came. There was never a doubt in my mind. It was actually for me, if anything, completely honestly. And I told Nicole this afterwards, because she said it was like, obviously the most transformational, most difficult thing she said she's ever done. And I was just super impressed with how not easy she made it look, but I thought, my job was going to be talking her off the ledge a whole lot more and a whole lot more of that coaching through it because I thought that it was really going to bring her to the edge many, many times where she would get in her mind about like, I can't do this. And oh my God, maybe we've got to think about transferring. And it didn't, not one time. So I was actually just super impressed with her strength and her stay in power. And, and actually like the speed of it all, it sounds crazy to be in that for like six hours and say it went fast. But again, time is completely irrelevant in those moments. It's so bizarre. Um, There was no doubt. There was just trust. And that was the one thing that really surprised me in particular. I'm I'm not sure how how much it surprised Nicole. I mean, I think it's a lot more high stakes game when you're the one carrying the baby and you're the one delivering it. But something I've personally been working on a lot over the last, you know, I don't know, probably close to a decade now, seven or eight years or something like that is really, really trusting, really, really surrendering, really, really having faith. And not just saying that, you know, not just saying that I trust in the mystery, I trust in the divine, because it sounds cool, or because it's what we're supposed to say. But like, life then asks you, do you? Like, do you? Show it and prove it. And it's something I've been cultivating for a long time. So the minute that I made that energetic connection to trust it, the, the, the fear was gone. I'm not bullshitting anybody. I'm not even trying to bullshit myself when I say, there was never a moment of doubt in my mind that this was happening. I didn't even need to entertain the idea of like, oh, what if, you know, what am I going to say if we end in the hospital? It was not, a, it was not an option. It was not there at all. And 
that was really cool because I could tell there's an energy about thoughts and things that you have. And sometimes you can try and convince yourself purely out of bravado and purely out of ego and purely out of, nope, we're not doing that. We're not even thinking about that. It's all toxic positivity, baby. This was different. This was very, very different. It was, I don't know what it was. It was divine. It was something else. It's full surrender. It's full faith, full trust in the unknown. Surrendering is difficult. Something that I've been working on too. Uh, but I do believe in a higher power. And it's like, you'll, to me, what it seems like is you'll get these voices. You'll get this nagging little, if you want to call it the devil on your shoulder, the angel on the opposite shoulder. It's like, no, we can't do this. You got to mm-hmm. shut that voice up. You try to have control over things. And the more that you try to control things, the more they kind of flip the other direction. Yeah. If you want to call it destiny, if everything's just predetermined and we're just playing this out, who knows? But just having faith that everything will turn out the way that it should, that saves me a lot of worry. I know that you say, don't, we suffer twice, I believe, when we worry. Yeah, it's Buddha's law of two arrows. Yeah, he said, I mean, there's two arrows in life a lot of the time. First arrow, you don't control. It often strikes you out of the blue. It can be really painful. This is kind of, you know, bad things happen to you. It's the second arrow that is a self-inflicted arrow that is the story we tell about the first arrow. The bad thing can happen to you, a bad stroke of luck, a difficult circumstance. The second arrow, the self-inflicted one, is the poor me, why me, this sucks, I can't believe it's like this. Or the trust that this maybe isn't happening to me, it's happening for me. But yeah, this fucking sucks, it's painful. Like going through that C-section, having that experience robbed of us, like that sucks. Now, what are you going to do about it? Are you going to keep inflicting second arrows and shooting yourself in the foot because you blame and complain, you live in the past, you torture yourself? Are you going to accept it? It happened and therefore it had to happen that way. And therefore there's some medicine in that because yeah, you're just just going to endlessly suffer. The small cliche version of that is that pain is inevitable, but suffering is a choice. And I think we've really got to work on that latter part, you know, to not choose to suffer. I mean, it's hard to do because we're all really good at it. You know, we're good storytellers. We're good at arguing with reality. But if we do argue with reality, we're going to lose every single time. And that sucks too. So it's a pick your poison kind of deal. The energy that you were describing to me is very important to have. It's almost like a tether. It's like a place for the woman to ground on. It's like, because they go to another dimension, they go somewhere right. else. The only thing that's holding them in some type of confident energy here is the man. So that's your role in birth. And fathers is very important. Wapio mentioned that we kind of took the male role out of labor and birth. And we kind of just made them like these flies on the wall where they don't have any say. They don't do anything. They don't catch the baby. It's caught by someone with nylon or rubber gloves what does the dad do in this situation? So I feel like it's very important that you did hold that energy. Yeah. And what she also mentioned too, was in the presence of a midwife, what happens there is since this woman has more experience than the man that can almost make the father give up his power in that situation. Absolutely. It's important that you guys didn't really have the midwife or the doula in the room. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely, man. I think that's right. Yeah, there's a tendency, especially in that moment. I even kind of saw it come up in, in myself because the birth keeper came in and she's probably seen hundreds of births and I have seen exactly zero in this way. So there's an instant where like, oh my God, you can see the baby's head. And I felt myself almost shrinking back and being like, okay, she, she's got this. She's the professional. And then I was like, what the fuck? What am I doing? This is my role. This is my job. And I'm glad I had the awareness to catch that. Like you said, um, the the energy and the presence of of your nervous system is everything, I think, in these moments. I think that there's a lot of wordless stuff communicated between energy bodies, especially in spaces like this where the veil is very thin and that it's not necessarily about what you're saying because a lot of the times when people are saying positive stuff they're mostly trying to talk themselves off a ledge right it's actually about who you're being and for me i was just breathing a lot and i was playing the singing balls i was playing the flute i was giving back rubs when necessary i knew i knew not based on nicole's prompts but based on her energy when to back off and let her go through this on her own and when to come in and hug and hold her up and before it all started well, it, it already started technically, but when just as it was ramping up, one of the things that Nicole said just completely removed any last shred of like the fear or the doubt or whatever was still there lingering was I just walked into the room. We had a moment together before, you know, the, the, the craziness ensued and I just I had some sage and I, I lit it and I did a little sage ceremony for her and just drew, drew it down a body and put it over different meridian points and just like you know really blew it into a womb space and really blew the smoke into her heart and then blew the smoke into her third eye and just gave her a kiss and she was just crying you know crying but like happy crying and it was like the most beautiful thing ever and there was no words exchanged in that it was just pure like that's it i'm here you know you've got your grounding rod now go get our baby and you know that was really beautiful you know it sounds like it man even just reading email, watching the videos, it's like it kind of brings a tear to my eye. I've become a little bit of a, a sap, I guess, since having oh, a yeah. It's like I, I love kids. I really yeah. do. They're so magical. The whole experience is – I can't remember where I read this quote. I know it's from a book, obviously. But it's along the lines of how a woman does not reach her full potential until she gives birth. Mm. This may offend some people, but I believe that it needs to happen in this way because this is your rite of passage. So yeah. it makes sense. And the same for a dad. It's like accepting this responsibility. That's a rite of the passage in itself too. Hopefully you got rid of yes. your shit prior and you're not some adult boy that's just passing on bad behaviors or poor behaviors, poor decisions to your child, um, whatever those may be. But did... Nicole do anything else during the pregnancy? So you didn't do any test. Was she engaging in any meditations? Was she doing hypnobirthing, uh, yoga, movement? What was she doing during the pregnancy? I mean, she stayed very active, hiked a lot. Um, didn't It's different as well this time because whilst you're pregnant, you're also me looking after a three and a half year old. So you're also mom. When you're having your first baby, we were reflecting on this. It's kind of crazy because it's like, you just every level, new level in parenthood, you're just reminiscing on like, what did we do with all the free time that we don't have now? <laughs> you're like, you're so busy now. So she didn't have crazy long yoga flow practices and stuff like that because she's busy being a full, fully engaged, like stay at home mom. Stayed very active. She has been beautifully indoctrinated by me into our dietary lifestyle. So 
Um, the one thing that she did do, which is really interesting, is she didn't drink raw milk during the first pregnancy, and she drank a fuck ton of raw milk during this pregnancy. Like we were going through two gallons a week. She was having a few glasses a day, and um, you know this baby's this baby's a chunk, man. He's got some he's got some raw milk gains. You know, to not only have a V back, but to push out an eight and a half pound baby that's pure raw milk infused beast. Um, so there's something to that. The nutrition, um, doing liver and and organ supplements from heart and soil. Um, from the mental side of things, I think one of the resources that was very, very impactful and transformational for Nicole was um, the free birthing community. So there's there's something called freebirthsociety.com, and they have an online community that is thousands of women at this point, and it's a forum and it's a course. And the course obviously costs money, and she went through that course, but it's delivered by two really powerful, really wise women uh, one is called Yolanda Clark, and the other one is called Emily Saldea, and they started the Free Birthing Society. And this is a, well, like you said, how do we kind of retell these stories? Well, these women are doing it because it's just growing, and it's a movement that's growing because I think a lot of people, even if they can't see it right now, like they feel something's not quite right. And just stories like this, However far it reaches, like one person that listens to the entirety of this thing sees birth in a slightly different way. And that's a ripple, you know, and, and then they have a conversation with a friend about this. So they may pass it on here. And, and these there's infinite amount of ripples moving out right now. But the support Nicole found virtually in that group, in that community. And I think what's more powerful than anything else is the belief that you can do it through other people's stories. And when every day, instead of reliving the fear and the doubt and going to doctor's appointments and being scared shitless, you're looking at women post every single day, their beautiful home birth, and you're seeing this hundreds of times and people are tracking alongside with you. And this forum is so supportive and so knowledgeable about birth. Like it just instills with you this belief that why not me too? Why all of these women are doing this? Every single one of them chose this brave path. And they're all doing it and they all did it successfully. And Nicole told me in that entire time that she was enrolled in that community and course, there was not one woman, not one woman that the six months she was in it and in that community that didn't have the birth that she wanted. Not one. Like, what? Come on, man. Like, that's crazy. That's hundreds of women that were like decided to free birth and mostly while pregnancy and got exactly what they wanted. Well, how many women get the birth that they want with their hospital plan or whatever it's 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 not many right it's very very rare so i think that was if you were to ask nicole that question i feel like that would probably the biggest piece of her support was that she found this online community and she has a really good group of close women here you know she's got a women's circle and they've also kind of birthed in a similar way with similar beliefs and stuff like that so even the day nicole's waters broke on saturday she had a blessing way and a blessing way is a very ancient practice that most women don't go through now because we've swapped these more ancient kind of rituals for superficial materialistic ones like a baby shower where we just buy a bunch of useless gifts that nobody gives a fuck about. Oh, buy me a money, buy me da, da, da. Like this was none of that. Instead of bringing gifts, women brought prayers and women brought poems and women brought freezer meals and they gave her a massage and they gave her a foot bath and they built her a flower crown and they celebrated her and they chanted and they sung and even two days ago nicole had another ceremony that was closing a closing of the portal it's called closing of the bones i think it comes mostly from a lineage in guatemala where they believe that like yeah you've just been open you traveled fucking galaxies to go get this baby now close the ceremony women came and gave her a massage and wrapped her in these linens and they squeeze you and they 
put stuff back together and it closes the ceremony and they work with the fire and all of these things. That's what birth can be. It doesn't need to be this like, again, this this weird thing where you unfortunately in some cases get cut open sent home a few days later and now you're kind of on your own right it takes a village we know that but so many people are lacking the village so we are lucky to land in the middle of nowhere where we live and find this small like-minded community but also know that there's a huge online community that's growing and this free birth society movement of women and the men that are willing to have these kinds of conversations around birth too, to destigmatize it, to not take the traditional role of the man in birth, which is, oh, whatever, man, we don't know anything. We just stand in the room and we see this, oh my God, it's horrifying. What the hell is going on? You'll never look at it the same way again. Let's just go out and like, now that's it's time to show up and grow up. You know what I mean? And I think conversations like this will really help. And I'm going to continue to try and have these conversations. I'm going to bring some of these women on my podcast too, and have these conversations because they're important. And again, it's not to sit here and try and get all self-righteous around, this is what you need to do, but it's like, we need a different way. We need at least an option because if we follow the standard advice, whether that's with diet, whether that's with exercise or lack thereof, whether that's with the way we school kids, whether that's with the way we birth people or have medicine, like everybody can see the writing on the wall and it's, it's a shit sandwich. So we have to have another alternative. So let's keep having these conversations, man. And let's keep finding people that resonate um, with our message and trying to just spread that and create ripple effects. That's really all we can do, you know? I agree. Stuff like this is the pebble thrown in the pond and see where it goes. Yeah. That, that community sounds like it's absolutely amazing. And what comes up for me is like, where has this stuff gone? That's yeah. the whole point of these type of conversations in the first place is to kind of bring back stuff. The whole, uh, tagline for the podcast is sometimes moving forward requires us to take a step back. Yeah. It's like we are missing out on a lot of stuff that just seems far more fulfilling and it's simpler. It's not the superficial stuff. We don't need all these gifts. Kids don't even need a whole lot. As many toys as Jax has, he doesn't even use half of them. He just likes watching daddy do what he does. He likes yeah. trying to help me cook. He likes trying to help me make my waters and stuff like that. He wants to be engaged. Yeah. That's learning. He's picking it. You don't need to do too much. Yeah. So we can ditch all the superficial stuff and we can just go for the simpler, the deeper, the more connected route. And I truly believe that this will make us happier overall. I do believe that there's something that people feel, I feel like they have the capacity. It's there somewhere and they'll hit it at some point in life. What if we did things differently? Yeah. And what if we yeah, went back to nature, back to human, back to the way of the forgotten things that we've lost? You know, yeah, there was some hard stuff in the past, no doubt about it. But we've also got to remember where we came from, because I think it holds a lot of the answers to where we're going. You know, this whole the scientism that we have that has disconnected the head from the heart and has disconnected man from nature and woman from nature is ultimately going to be our downfall if we can't integrate those things like why can't we integrate these things why can't we have science and wisdom of nature why can't we have both you know i think we're just on a on a slightly slippery slope right now and that we we need to course correct and i think a lot of the answers that we actually are looking for are old they're already baked into the cake they're they're already written and I think that's what we've got to remember. And I think that's what this is. You know, what is there any better or greater way to remember than this conversation today? Like this birthing process, like that, that is it. That is the creation of all life right there. That that's it. As soon as that stops, it's game over. So that's a very potent medicine for us remembering. 
I believe you are absolutely one of the people that are leading the way, brother. And I, I really appreciate and I'm so grateful that you gave me the privilege of interviewing you so shortly after the birth of Indy. I know it was kind of quick, but I did want to get you while you were on this high. So the last question that I have for you, when I was speaking with Wapio, she mentioned that when the father catches the baby, it's almost like these wings spread. And it's like the whole room changes. This whole light emanates from them. What was it like for you the moment that you caught Indy? You know, like you hear a lot that people will say, a lot of dads will say, like, the greatest moment of my life was when my baby was born or whatever. And as much as I really enjoyed that process with Jai, because it, it was tainted somewhat by the, the C-section and the pain that we experienced, it could never stand out like as that moment for me. Uh, I love my son dearly and it was beautiful, but this was so different. This was like the ceremony to top all ceremonies you know it was just so profound I remember just looking at him and I, I was so in the moment that I I forgot to even check whether it was a girl or a boy because we didn't know what we were having right that's part of the not getting scans it ended up being like a minute and a half later before my brain came back online and I said to Nicole oh shit what is it and she's like oh it's a boy I was just so completely and utterly immersed in that moment that seemed to be simultaneously the blip of a second and also an eternity in a lifetime and I just remember like just crying and just like completely cracked open like heart completely cracked open like looking at this precious little thing and being like wow like the whole of the emotion like Nicole you did that and wow we did this and whoa we made this and wow what is this and holy shit you know and what Nicole kept saying like a lot through the ceremonies like oh god oh god like oh god indeed like that's all we can say in times like that there's nothing else to say there's just like oh god like wow 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 and that was it man it was the most beautiful moment of my life so far and I think that single moment is probably going to be a hard one to top you know I don't know how much you know higher you can get than that you know yeah I remember you you mentioned that it's like you did a few grams of shrooms and DMT together <laughs> yeah and some breath work on the side it was all of that plus plus a little bit more so it was it was pretty special man I believe it I mean it sounds like one of those experiences that you really just can't put into words. Like nothing can truly describe it besides, oh God, leave it at that. But Steve, I want to thank you so much for sharing your story. It truly warms my heart. And again, I think we need more people like you that are out there leading the way, brother. Well, thank you very much, man. I appreciate the opportunity. It was um, really fun to reshare it's the first time I've kind of told it to anybody on the outside you know so it's really fun to vicariously relive it and restore it and restore it so I appreciate the space man and hopefully we can just keep telling these stories because that's again I think it gives other people permission to say yeah why why not why not us too like why not me that that's that's available for everyone I'm not special James isn't special we're just choosing to try and live in a more intentional way and I think that is available for everyone so Thanks for the opportunity, brother. Of course, brother. Always a pleasure. Thank you so much for your time, brother. God bless you and your family. All right, brother. Big love to you. Thank you.